fun thing we're in the middle at the moment is, is a series called Timing. Really, we're looking at this whole idea of God's timing, uh, the rhythm we do life with, and really when the journey with God is really understanding how to live in God's rhythms, God's timing for our life. Rhythm is not, and timing, uh, good timing is not really something God gave me. Uh, saying uh, last Sunday morning, is that's why I like going to our South Island churches, uh, because everyone claps out of time like me. And so I feel a little bit more coordinated there. But up here, there's a lot of people in this church that have a lot of rhythm that I'm thankful for, um, but that is not me. And one thing I've come to realize this journey with God, uh, God, God desires that we'd live in a relationship with Him, that we, we would know God. God knows you. Whether you know God or not, doesn't matter because God knows you. God knows you, that He created you, He destined you, He knows, he does, God doesn't just know the Christians, all right? God knows everybody. Uh, God knows everyone and God loves everybody. God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. God doesn't just love the good people. God doesn't just love the people on day 98 of their Bible reading plan. God loves those on day one as well. God loves all people. God loves everybody and God loves the world. And so we're on this journey of, of God knows us, but really our journey is us getting to know God is us getting to know God on this journey. And really, in life, we go through rhythms, and in that rhythms, it's learning and understanding more about who God is. But one thing I've come to dis discover so far in my journey with God is often that, that God moves slower than I want, but faster than I'm ready for. Slower than I want. There's times where I'm like, God, when are you? God, when are you going to do this? God, when are you going to heal this? God, when are you going to break through in this? God, when are you going to help me with this? There's times where I feel like God's moving slow, like slower than I want. And then there's other times where God's moving too fast. I'm like, God, I just can't keep up. I'm not ready. It's too much. Too I just need a break, God. And you can even feel those feelings at the same time. It's like part of me is like, God, when? And then other parts is like, God, slow down. And we kind of get into this, this space where I feel like God doesn't always work to my time frame. God doesn't work to, to, the, to the timelines I set out because God, God has us on a journey. And this journey, uh, you know, you ever been on a trip, especially with, with, with young kids? The thing about young kids is they, don't, they, don't, uh, they can't comprehend uh, distance towards the destination. And so it's about getting into the trip. Whenever you don't know how far something is, when you're in that drive, the question in your mind is always, when are we going to get there? Like when, when me and Leela first started dating, her family lives in Taranaki, um, Naki Hardcore, and uh, that's their country. And so they're from Taranaki, and the, the, it's, it's a long drive. It's an awful drive, in fact, uh, to Taranaki. And I remember when we first went down there, I was a student at the time, and so I didn't want to use any of my one gig of data that month to find out how far it was on my maps. And so you were driving there, and in my mind, I'm just like, man, when are we going to get there? It just seems like we're going so long. But now I've done that trip many times. I know, oh, we're here, so I know how long it is. Oh, we're here, I know how far it is. Oh, we're here, I know how much further it is. I know the journey now. I know where the destination is. The, the challenge with our journey with God, though, is we don't always know where the destination is. We don't know where the destination is. And in fact, God's not very good at telling us where the destination is. Because otherwise, the reality is, is what God doesn't want to do is just give you the address and say, hey, I'll meet you there. That's not what God's interested in. 
In fact, God's more interested in the journey. He gets to go on with you. God's more the kind of person who pulls up at your door and says, hey, let's go for a drive. Where are you going? Oh, you'll find out. Let's just go. Why? Because he's actually interested in the journey you're on, not just where you're getting to. And so you go on this journey where on one hand, there's the side of us saying, are we there yet? And then on the other hand, there's the side of saying, God, I feel like I'm not ready yet. <laughs> I feel like I'm not ready for this. I, I had a youth pastor and would do this thing when he was coming up to youth camps. He used to take us on things like summer ifs, shout youth camps like that. Um, he used to do this thing. Nowadays, you'd call it kidnapping. Um, but back then, we didn't <laughs> for some reason. And what he'd do is, is, is if one of the boys and youth who was kind of like a core kid and youth who, who was kind of in those moments, you get in those phases where you're a bit like, eh, towards church and youth and different things, especially around year 12, year 13, a few of our mates would kind of get into that space like, ah, I don't know where I'm at with God. Well, one thing he believed in is if he could get us in these environments, we can account God for ourselves. So he was committed to getting us in these environments. So what he'd do is if one of the guys were in that space of, ah, I don't know if I want to go, and we're like, hey, yeah, and, and you know, you get all the reasons, I can't afford it, I can't do all this, but really it's just because I don't want to go. What he'd do is he'd actually call the parents of that, of that child and say, hey, well, we've got this camp coming up, I really think it'd be good for your son to be there, and uh, what we're going to do is if, if we got your permission, we're just going to come pick him up and take him. And so what would happen is he'd, the, our youth pastor would come pick a couple of us up, and we'd go around to the house just on our, before we were about to drive off to this camp. And we walk in the door and we're like, you've got two minutes to pack. And then we're grabbing you and just throwing you in the car and you're coming whether you want to or not. And so what happens in two minutes, everyone's just scrambling for stuff because they're like, man, I've only got two minutes to pack for a whole week of camp. You ever packed in a rush? You know, and you're driving there and you're like, oh man, I'm sure I've forgotten something. You ever had that feeling? Because you're just in a rush, like, oh, I feel like I'm not ready. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like I'm not quite equipped. I feel like I don't kind of have everything. What I've found is when God wants to move sometimes, sometimes he'll move even though you don't feel like you're ready. Oh, I just need to do this. Oh, when I, when I finish my studies. Or oh, when I get the job. When, and God's like, no, you don't need all of that. Let's just go. There's wait moments in God, but there's also move moments in God. There's movement, you know, and those guys would scramble to pack and, you know, then you get to camp and you just watch them throughout the week. You know, they might have five pairs of shoes. You're like, you bring this stuff that's really not that important. I got like five pairs of shoes, but like one t-shirt. And you're like, come on, mate. And so, we, you know, and instead of bringing a towel, they bought a tea towel. And so then they're having a shower, wiping themselves down, trying to get dry. And then they realize that tea towel wasn't a substitute for their towel. It was a substitute for their blanket. And then they're lying there with a damp tea towel, sleeping at night. And, and, but there's this reality. is because sometimes God's just like, let's go. And you feel clumsy on the journey. And, and you feel like you don't have it all together. But there's move moments in God. In fact, God turned up to Peter, the disciples. He didn't really give them a whole lot of time. In fact, Peter, he just said, come on, it's time to move now. Come follow me now. Now is the time to move. Right now, there's other people he'll turn up to and say, come on, come now. And they'll say, oh, wait a minute. There's some stuff I've got to get in order. And God's saying, no, this isn't a time to get things in order. It's just a time to leave it and go. It's a time to just leave it and go. And so God kind of works in these two ways. Sometimes he'll, he'll take time. You're like, God, when are you going to move? And then there's times where God would just say, no, move, move now. And learning, learning and understanding God's timing is an important thing. That so much of this journey, probably early on in my Christian life, I thought it was more about getting God on, on board with my plan. 
The more I do this life with God, the more I understand reading the Bible, prayer, fasting is not so much about trying to get God to do what I want, but about my heart understanding what it is that God wants to do. It's less about God getting on board with me and me getting on board with God. And so much of our prayer life, though, in our heart and our faith is put towards how do we get God down to what we want? But actually, fasting is less about that and actually more about, come on, God, I want to get in line with your sovereign, your sovereign plan. And there's this moment, actually, early in the gospel stories where you kind of find these, same, these two things kind of at play. In fact, if you look at the birth of John the Baptist and you look at the birth of Jesus, two, two significant stories in, in the life of our faith and our belief as, as believers in Christ. John the Baptist, for we don't know, is kind of John the Baptist and Jesus were born about the same time and John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. It was actually John the Baptist who baptized Jesus, hence the name John the Baptist. And, and as after the baptism, we kind of Jesus was then kind of commissioned in the ministry after going through 40 days of fasting. John the Baptist was a significant part of Jesus' story. But how John the Baptist and Jesus were born is quite interesting. For, for John the Baptist, his parents were Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now they were of old age. They, they were of old age. They were past childbearing age. In fact, it talks about how they were barren and past the age being able to bear. Elizabeth was too old. That God had missed that time. They had believed for a child, but God hadn't shown up. And now they're too old for God to do something. It was too late. And then on the other hand, Jesus was born to Mary, who at a young age was still a virgin. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, now it's going to happen. God was slow to one and quick to the other. Slow in one moment. In one moment, God, God moved where they thought he had forgotten. And in the other moment, God moved in a way they never expected. That's what I found with God. At times, he'll move in ways where I thought God had forgotten about that. God's like, no, I haven't forgotten. And then at other times, God will move faster and in things you didn't even realize were coming. God has this ability to resurrect something you've given up on, but also this ability to move in something you don't even know about. He, he has this ability. And both of these scenarios, both Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, when the angel came to him and said, you're going to bear a child, and, and both with Mary, when the angel of the Lord came to her and said, you're going to bear a child, both are left with the same question. In Luke 1 verse 18, it talks about Zechariah's response where it says, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. In Luke 1 verse 34, it's Mary answered the angel and said this, how will this be since I am a virgin? Both of them were left with the same question, how? How? It's been too long, how? How can that still happen? I thought that was over. It's been too long, I've given up on that. How could it still come about? Or how? I'm not ready yet. How could that be possible? How could that happen? It's too fast, too soon. Both were believing, both were in a moment where the angel brought a promise, but both were left with the question of how. But what's interesting about this passage is not just the question they ask, but the response of the angel. To Mary, the angel responds in a way that brings clarity and confirmation. 
brings clarity and confirmation. She's feeling like it's too fast. She's still a virgin. How could that even be possible? And the angel goes on this journey to help her understand, no, come on, you're going to bear the Son of God. It's going to happen. Responds with encouragement and confirmation. But to Zechariah, he gets a completely different response. The response to Zechariah is actually quite different. In fact, I want to read this passage to you so you can hear it. In Luke, 6, uh, Luke 1, verse 6, I'll start it here. It talks about, this is talking about Elizabeth and Zechariah. It talks about, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and, bo- and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God in the division, and his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. There, and there appeared an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you you shall call him John. What's interesting about this moment is when the angel shows up, what does he say? He says, Don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard. But if you look to the response of Zechariah, it's evident that they had stopped praying that prayer. That actually the angel was coming to bring an answer to a prayer that was prayed long ago. A prayer that even Zechariah and Elizabeth had given up praying, given up hope for, God still held on to. There's prayers we pray and move on from that God doesn't forget about. There's things that we don't see happen, we get discouraged and we carry on that God says, no, I'm still going to fulfill that promise. What we forget about, God still is faithful in. That he's faithful to the prayers we've even forgotten about. That's the nature, the character, the heart of our God. In this moment, the angel turns up and says, hey, you're forgotten, but I'm here to bring an answer. Remember the prayer you prayed in your young years of marriage when you were first trying to bear a child and it didn't happen. Remember when you prayed, I haven't forgotten that. It might have been a minute, it might have been a while, but I'm still holding on. Why? Because he had a divine moment for that baby to be born. Any earlier was too soon. He would have been too old by the time Jesus came. And so Jesus, God had a divine moment for Elizabeth and Zechariah to have a child. And sometimes we're trying to rush God ahead where God says, no, let's slow down because there's a divine moment. What seems too slow for you is a setup by me because there's a significant moment where I want to move with. And so sometimes my prayer, I've got to be careful. Yeah, I stand in faith and I hold the posture of faith, but I also hold the tension of the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God's timing. And while I say, God, I want you to do this, I also trust you that you're going to do it when you want to do it. And it's this tension where I don't let go of my faith, but I don't also lord my faith and hold God hostage to my prayer life. God isn't a hostage to my request. God can do what God wants to do. That's who God is. That's what God God does. And in chapter, in verse 18, Zechariah then responds to the angel and says, like we read before, how shall I know this for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. 
because God didn't, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. What's, that, what's, what's amazing about this is, is one you understand, and you would have heard this before if you've been in church for any amount of time, that God's silence does not necessarily mean God is inactive. Silent for a number of years when God was working his plan all along. Silence does not mean God's not moving. But what I love about this is God's moved despite Zechariah's doubts. He doubted, but God still brought the child. He doubted, but God still moved. And there's some things that God's just going to move. There's some things where He is Lord, He is King, and God will be God. You know, I said last Sunday morning that, you know, at one stage when I was in, in the trades, I was a cabinet maker, and we used to laminate Anyway, I'm not going to get into details and bore you with how to lay for micro on windowsills. But anyway, somebody, somebody, uh, we're working on a hospital and um, somebody got the job all wrong and ordered the wrong windows. And so they got us in to fix the windows, basically. And it was a long job. It was about six weeks of work um, for our whole crew. And, you know, the whole job was a shambles. And he was a project manager. Uh, he was actually a friend's dad. And he was, he was called Roger. And we used to call him Dodgy Roger. Uh, um, because all his work, his, a lot of his work solutions, we were like, I don't know if that's how you should do it. And um, he'd walk into the room. And he'd come into the room, and there'd be a bunch of different trades at work. And, you know, he was an expert at everything. And so he'd walk in and tell all the tradesmen how to do their job. Oh, I wouldn't do it like that. I'd do it like this. And give all this advice that really wasn't helpful and turn around and walk out the door. And then all the tradesmen would just carry on doing what they're doing. Just carry on to get the job done. And what I've found with God, sometimes I can be a little bit like Dodgy Rodgy. Is I walk into my prayer closet and try and tell God how to do his job. Try and say, oh God, I wouldn't do it like that. I'll do it like this. Oh God, I wouldn't do it then. I'll do it now. Oh God, I don't want you to do it now. I want you to do it then. And, and we get in this habit of trying to tell God how to do our job. And then we walk out of the room and God's like, yeah, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. There's certain things where God's just going to move. Zachariah had doubt, but God still moved in his doubt. Moved amongst his doubt. There was a plan God had, and he wasn't going to let Zachariah's doubt rob the purpose and destiny of God. That he moved despite his doubt. But then what I love is what actually happened from then is then God put in a place, a plan for Zechariah to deal with his doubts. So in a sense, there was, hey, I've got to do this. And I want you to journey with me. But for you to journey with me, we need to deal with your doubt. So he'll move despite the doubt, but then create an opportunity for us to deal with our doubt. He says, what I need you to do is just be silent for nine months. I just need you to be silent and closed his mouth for nine months. Who knows, sitting in silence for nine months, you're going to do some heart searching. You're going to do some head searching. I mean, just sitting in lockdown for four weeks, found some, some disturbing things in my heart. <laughs> because that's, that's what happens when you're, you're sitting, you're isolated. What, it was a time for him to deal. It was a space for him to work on, on his heart. He created, he created a process for him, him to deal with his doubts. And, 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 and one thing I've come to realize in life at, at different times, God, God, will, God will create space. And sometimes this is what waiting does, is waiting's a great revealer of the heart. 
And waiting actually gives us time to deal with some of the issues of the heart. Sometimes when we're rushing so quick with the things, we don't stop to think, stock take, look at where we're at. It's kind of like when we get there, oh, like, okay, we all here, everyone arrived. When you're in a rush, that's kind of the feeling. But when you're waiting, you know, have you ever waited with somebody? When you wait with somebody, you, you learn a lot about somebody. You ever just had to sit and wait for an hour or two with somebody you don't really know? By the end of that time, you're closer. You know each other a lot more. Why? Because waiting, waiting reveals Wait, waiting actually opens things up. Wait, waiting is a, is, a, is a great revealer of the, condition, of the condition of the heart. See, what you've got to understand about this passage or this moment is actually what Zechariah was, was he is still faithfully serving God. He was still faithfully serving God. It talks about that he, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of God. Where, did God. where was he found after years of not seeing God answer his prayer? Where was he found? Serving the Lord. That actually God's performance didn't determine Zachariah's position towards God. That although God hadn't requested every prayer that he wanted, it didn't stop Zechariah saying, no, I'm going to serve my God. I'm going to pray to God, believe for God. But at the end of the day, I draw a line in the sand and say, hey, for my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Whether the Lord answers my prayer tomorrow or if it's going to be 90 years, I've made a commitment in my heart. I'm going to serve the Lord. So when God, the angel shows up, where do they find Zechariah? Going through the motions of serving the Lord. And he had embraced the habits, but in embracing the habits over time, had lost the heart. And while it's good that we faithfully show up and we faithfully serve, it's important that we don't just get it in the routine of habits and not take care of our heart. Not take care of our heart. Because one thing I've found on the journey with God over time, over time things creep in. Because my, my, I, I, wonder, I, I wonder if Zach. Zachariah's response was even a surprise to him. He was a man of faith, and an angel shows up, and he responds in doubt. I wonder if he walked out going, where did that come from? Like, you ever been in a conversation, and something just come out of your mouth, and you're like, Ooh, where, where did that come from? Like, you, you ever been in an environment, someone's name gets mentioned, all of a sudden you jump, it's like, oh, where did that come from? You know, some, something just, just can't, you, you, you know what I'm talking about, where, where it's like all of a sudden you're surprised by your response. If you haven't had that moment, when, when you get married, that happens all the time. It's like, why do I care so much about where the peanut butter lives? You know, you walk away from arguments like, why did I care so much about that? Why? Because stuff just flows, stuff just flows out of the heart. And in this moment, I wonder if even there was a revealer of Zachariah's own doubt to himself. And sometimes God will get us waiting for seasons, not because God doesn't know where we're at, because we don't know where we're at. Because we don't actually stop to realize where we're at. And it's in moments like this where we actually go, man, maybe, maybe there's more here than what I thought. You know, it's, it's, it's that ability in life, stuff creeps, just has a way of creeping in. It's not always big things that often creep into the heart. Often it's, it's just a little eroding away of different things. Like you ever moved into a house and you've had a spare bedroom and you have all this great, play- <laughs> some of you are like, no, we're students, we ain't got that problem. I got six people in my bedroom right now. It's, it's that, that reality 
One day, come on, people, in faith, one day you're going to have a spare bedroom. And uh, come on, big goals in life. We've got big dreams here in Equipus. And uh, you move in, and a spare bedroom's never a spare bedroom. It ends up just being the place where the clutter collects. You have all these ideas, all this potential with what you could do with this room, and over time it just becomes the crap cupboard. It just becomes a space. And then what happens, you know, we're in the middle of renovations, and so there's stuff everywhere at our house. The renovations have been going on for a year and a half and probably got another year and a half to go, but don't let Leela know that. And uh, <laughs> they've gone on way longer, so there's stuff collected at our house. So when people want to come around, what happens? The spare room gets cut. All the stuff just goes in the room. We close the door, and all of a sudden, the house is organized and it's beautiful. If you don't mind, some wires hanging down and a few walls without jib. But, but we can put the stuff away. And then people come around and it looks good. And it looks, oh, this is nice. But the problem is, is, is every now and again, you get those rude guests that come around. Or they're either rude or they know you too well. And so they're too comfortable. They come around and they're looking around. They're like, oh, what's in this door? And you're like, oh, oh, sorry. There's some stuff, you know, just been, we've been meaning to get rid of it and sort it out. One thing I've known about, about Jesus is Jesus makes a terrible house guest. Jesus isn't a polite house guest. Because either one or two things, he'll know you too well that he'll just start walking around looking at things you don't want him to look at. Or he'll be rude and just barge into situations. And you're like, whoa, hold on, Jesus. Jesus makes a terrible house guest. He just walks around. Oh, what's in this door? Oh, what's all this mess? You know, you come here on a Sunday and it's nice and you invite Jesus into your heart and you're like, oh, that's awesome. And then like six months down the track, he's like, hey, what's in this? What's, let's look at this door. And he starts to open up. Why? Because over time, clutter creeps. And when we're waiting for something to come, I imagine Zachariah didn't plan on, on, on facing an angel with doubt. I imagine that wasn't in the game plan. But stuff had crept into his heart. Discouragement over years of God not coming through in the way he thought. Stuff had crept into his heart. And then one day the angel walks in and says, hey, come on, let's look in this area of doubt. You thought I'd forgotten, but I'm still here. And let's look at some of these things. Stuff creeps in all the time. Whenever you create space, if you don't fill it with the right things, you'll get filled with the wrong things. It's this reality of we've got to actually at times stop and part of timing is God gives us the grace to deal with the clutter. For Zechariah, I just wonder, this is just my, one of my observations, I, I just wonder if God silenced him for nine months out of grace. He gave him another nine months to prepare his heart because he was about to be a father to the child that was going to proclaim Jesus, the Messiah. There was a destiny that he was about to be responsible for. And until he dealt with the clutter in his heart, he wouldn't be able to steward the promise that was to come. To be able to raise it, nurture it, grow it, let him understand the ways, the plans, the purposes of God. Angel Lord shows up and says, hey, there's some doubt here I've got to deal with. Because until we deal with this doubt, you're not going to be able to raise this promise. 
you're not going to be able to raise this destiny. And God's grace, every now and again, he just rudely walks into our life and says, hey, what's in this door? That happened to me at Bible college one year. Well, the, when I say one year, I only did one year at Bible college. So <laughs> trying to sound smart, eh? Like, man, my first year at Bible college. <laughs> Sounds like I've done more than one. <laughs> it's not a lie. But I remember being at Bible college and... Um, and it was the mid-semester break, and it was the last lecture, and everyone that's been to college knows that that's just like that. Let's have Peter session and get out of here. And then what happens is, is the, our lecturer at the time, she, she kind of is like, oh, before we finish up, you know, just recapping a whole semester worth of content, goes, has anyone got any questions? I'm like, that's the wrong, we, we were the wrong class to ask that question to. I'm like, I got Manuel in my class. There's all sorts of questions. I had Keenan. He's like, all sorts of conspiracy questions coming out. I'm like, I just want the pizza, man. <laughs> who knows who the Nephilim is, all right? Let's just leave that. Anyway, someone asked a question about forgiveness. Well, why are we getting so deep on a last, last Mr. And I'm sitting there, I'm in the front row, and someone asked a question about forgiveness and the nature of forgiveness and our responsibility in forgiveness. We're forgiven, so we should forgive others, but how do you forgive people? How do you forgive people who aren't repentant of what they've done? It's a lot easier to forgive somebody who's sorry. How do you forgive someone who's not sorry? Now, I thought I dealt with sorry, uh, with, with forgiveness, but I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, our... our our, uh, our lecturer starts going in on forgiveness and I start getting like, you know, it's like those responses you don't expect. Start getting annoyed at her. Nah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, as she start tearing up because what happened in that moment, just randomly I'm sitting in Bible college and God comes in and says, what's behind this door? Some deep unforgiveness from your childhood. And says, hey, now's the time. Let's, let's deal with that. And there's moments in God where God just comes in and says, hey, what's behind this door? For your grace. Say, hey, we need to actually deal with this clutter. Because this clutter is clouding your ability to see what I'm trying to do in your life. This clutter is clouding your ability to, to take hold of what it is I'm wanting to do. I want to say, don't invite Jesus inside if you just want him to hang out in the nice part of your house. You're better off not opening the door. Open the door if you want Jesus to be in the ceiling, looking in the attic, getting around going, come on, let's sort this out. The good news is Jesus isn't afraid of what he finds because Jesus already knows what's behind the door. It's more about him saying, hey, do you realize you still got this here? You ever cleaned out something and you're like, man, I didn't know I still had that. <laughs> we just cleaned out the Mercury Theater. Place hadn't been cleaned in 20 years. We're like, man, I didn't know these things still existed. And every now and again, God will come to your life and open up doors and say, hey, come on. It's this thing you haven't dealt with. Here's this ability. And what I love about God, God will continue to move while we have doubts. But then there's moments where God will put us in a process to deal with our doubts to deal with our doubts. Like I said, if, 
if you don't fill a space with the right things, you fill it with the wrong things. And that's what I love about what Mary did. Because just as we finish, one thing you see about Mary is, is you can only imagine Mary. It's one thing for an old couple that gets pregnant. Everyone's like, man, didn't think that could happen. That's awesome. Try being a young girl in a Jewish culture, getting pregnant out of wedlock, and trying to tell everyone that it was from God. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We've all tried that one. You know, like, imagine, imagine that story. Imagine that, carrying that burden. God didn't just give her the burden of carrying Jesus, he gave him the burden of being misunderstood. And sometimes some of the call on your life, people aren't un- going to understand. The danger in this world is we always want to try and justify, trying to want the world to make sense of what we know. There's times where people are just not going to make sense to people, that we are going to be misunderstood. But it doesn't distract us or determine the promise that we carry, the ways we choose to live our life, the ways people aren't going to get what I do. But I understand this is what God's called me to carry. And my job is to be faithful to the words of God not the faithful to the opinion of man. And there's this moment in Luke 2 when it talks about, when you look at Mary, two things, a couple of stages throughout the, the childhood of Jesus. It says in Luke 2 verse 18, it says, and all who heard wondered what the shepherds, this is when the shepherds turn up, when Jesus is first born, the shepherds turn up. Because I wonder, the rumors would have already started around Mary's life. And the shepherds show up at the birth of Jesus, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. And Luke 2, later on, when Jesus is about 12 years old, he gets lost. And then he, they finally find him, and he's sitting at the temple courts, and he's with the rabbis, and everyone's amazed at the teaching of Jesus. And it talks about, and they went down with him, and they came to Nazareth and, and was submissive to them. This is talking about Jesus was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things up in her heart. What did Mary do when it came to Jesus? She chose to store the promise of Jesus in her heart. You can imagine at 12 years old, people still would have gone, oh, that's that Jesus kid. That's the one Mary, before they got married, said was from God. But we all know Mary. That wouldn't have been God. That doesn't happen. Who is God to do that? You would imagine the stories as Joseph was trying to raise a child and everyone was saying, that child truly isn't yours. But what did they do? They stored the promise of God in their heart. You see, you got to decide what you're going to store in your heart. You can store the clutter of the world or the promise of God. But the promise of God at times will say, hey, we've got to move this clutter so we can fill it with the promise. You've got to move the clutter. Jesus isn't trying to open doors to take stuff out because he just likes big empty rooms. Jesus doesn't want to empty your life. He wants to fill it. But in the process of filling your life, he's got to push some stuff out of your life. And there's things we need to make sure. What are we storing in our heart? We store the Word of God. We store it. Mary, what did she do? She stored the promises in her heart. Jesus goes on later on in his ministry to even tell parables about the heart. One of those parables talks about when the sower scatters seed. Does it fall on a hard part? Does it fall on a rocky ground? Does it fall amongst thorns or does it fall on good soil? He's speaking to the condition of the heart. When the disciples walk away, they ask Jesus, why do you speak in parables? 
he talks about this. He says, you will indeed hear. It's a, it's a prophecy from Isaiah. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For people's hearts have grown dull. Those who had a right heart, a heart to learn, a heart a desire for God, would lean in and hear the parables of Jesus. And those who were staunch in their pride, stubborn in their attitude, hard in their hearts. It talks about how, how their people's hearts would grow dull. Zechariah, after so many years, the angel shows up, finds them faithfully serving, but in some ways without faith. He hadn't given up the habits. You're here tonight, you haven't given up the habits. I'm not here to talk to you about the habits of Christianity. You're here. I'm here to talk to you about the heart. Because I don't want you to just embrace habits. I want you to have a heart that God can work with, that God can speak to, that God can minister to. And maybe right across this room, just with eyes closed in this moment, maybe you're here and you just found yourself, as I've been talking, the Holy Spirit's been prompting. And you recognize tonight, there's some things that have been cluttering your heart. For some, it's sin. There's a sin you haven't dealt with, you haven't talked with, or you haven't repented from. You're struggling to break through on, and instead of trying to address it, you've just decided to, let's just store that away. We'll deal with it at a later date. For some, it might be a sense of unforgiveness like it was for me. For some, it might be a pain. might be a hurt and you've got reasons we've always got reasons why we hold on to things but Jesus is saying hey come on we need to deal with this 